Thank you for calling Which Way Between the Lines Bookstore. If it's strange, we have it in droves. How can I help you today? Jade! A rare smile quirks up at my lips as Rachel's melodic voice sings my name. Rachel's one of the few coven members I didn't lose touch with, or rather, she refused to lose touch with me. Her happy energy and warm demeanor always brings freshness when she crashes into my life. Hey, Rachel. It's good to hear your voice. How is everything? Really good, Jade. Like, really good. I laugh her infectious happiness leaking into me. I always wondered if her gifts leaned toward the emotional persuasion sort, or if her personality is merely that contagious. Or maybe, good people simply make you warm and fuzzy on the inside. Which or not. That good, huh? What's bringing you so much joy? Did- I'm getting married! Wow. Congrats, Rachel. Who's the lucky guy? Rachel laughs, my question falling flat onto the carpeted floor. About that... Oh, so it's a mystery man? Some new prince stealing your heart for you two to ride off into the sunset? Aha! Very funny. It's not a mystery man. You know how Marcus and I broke up last year? I sigh. Honestly, a lot has happened this year, and keeping track of my friend's love life is not on the priority list. Between my cycle collar, the deck of the Eternals being stolen, and my new appointment with the Sisters of Hecate, this year has been more than I can handle. Don't sigh at me. You know how I was feeling about things. I just... I just wasn't there with him. But you are with someone else? Will you let me finish? I don't speak, allowing her to build the suspense. Well, I think Marcus sensed I was pulling away. We talked a few times about breaking up, and I mean, Jade, I just wasn't ready at that time to make any permanent decisions. Do you remember last year I vaguely told you I planned on attending Lamas with the Coven? Well, we decided to fully embrace the festivities and participate in the old Lunasa Temporary Marriage Union. You seriously participated in that antiquated love-matching bullshit? Jade, Lunasa is not bullshit. It's quite romantic when you think about it. Oh yes, participating in a male god's temporary love-binding during one of the most prolific holidays, meant primarily for harvesting, I might add, isn't bullshit. Whose idea was it to participate? Marcus's. I pause, not seeing that coming. Marcus's suggestion to participate in the tradition was his proverbial Richard Bach moment. My fingers begin to itch, my eyes landing on the deck of the counter within reach. Rarely do I casually perform a reading, but the hope and excitement in Rachel's voice prompts me to wedge the phone between my ear and shoulder while simultaneously grasping the deck. I like Rachel and Marcus together and my curiosity and concern for my friend's happiness has the cards flowing into a comfortable rhythm as Rachel releases a breath. I flip the first card as she continues. I know what you must be thinking. Why would he suggest I enter a union with someone else? And, well, truthfully, it was a nice dating break. I hadn't dated much beforehand, and who knew if we were actually meant to be together? It was also good for Marcus, even though I'm sure he was just secretly proving to himself that I was it for him. In his mind, letting me test the waters was the best way to do that. So we entered the temporary unions, and I committed myself to someone else in his coven, Edgar. I thought I'd be fine, I completely gave myself to the process, and Edgar was a wonderful partner, but I guess my heart was somewhere else. My hand hovers over the deck with Rachel's explanation before it moves to lay a second card next to the first. 
Honestly, I'm a little shocked you even agreed to go through with it. I understand you weren't certain about the longevity of your relationship, but don't you think the whole process was a little extreme? Power fizzles on my fingertips as they hover over my final choice. I flip the final card and lean back, taking in the three-card spread. In some cases, the cards don't always give me exactly what I need to see a person's future. It's not always an exact science, with multiple meanings and a plethora of combinations all pointing to different roads a person can take. However, sometimes the cards tell you exactly what you need to hear. Some may think so, but... Uh, what's considered extreme when you're looking for love? What lengths would you go to, Jade? I internally laugh at her question because my initial reaction is to call her out on her absurd logic. But the words die on my tongue as I take in the three cards staring back at me. The Five of Wands, the Page of Wands, and the Ten of Cups light a ray of light toward me, a small weight lifting from my cynical heart. A lover trying to prove their worth, showing their former lover their passion, and ultimately being rewarded for their trials with the most storybook ending. There was somebody in my life worth fighting for. What extremes might I explore for their love? I ignore her question, instead stating what I see before me. So, Marcus set you free, but in the end you came back to him. It was just, the longer I was without Marcus, the more I realized we were meant for each other. So we're getting married, and I want you to come to our hand-fasting ceremony on Lamas. I know things with you and the coven have not been easy, but I'd really like it if you came. It feels like just yesterday I returned from the headache that was Beltane. Combined with surviving another anniversary of my mom's passing, I'm not sure I can or want to handle such a big event. Why is it so hard for a witch to get a break? I wouldn't miss it for the world. I raise my hand to knock on the front door of the picture-perfect ranch-style home, but I can't bring myself to do it. The festivities are in full swing. What am I even doing here? After years of being on my own, a nervous sensation begins to worm its way through my bones. My instinct is to spin on my heels, flip the bird, and go home for some tea. Instead, I stand like a stone in a rushing river considering whether or not I want to fight against the current. The brown paper bag on my wrist bites into my skin, but I relish in the pain. It grounds me even though I want to spiral into orbit. I hadn't seen the coven since our little soiree in the woods. My stomach dips to the stone steps at the frivolous idea that my outfit is not becoming of a coven leader, just as the front door swings open. Rosalind peers from the entry, her left eyebrow quirking at me in assessment. Well, are you going to stand there like a gargoyle all night, or are you going to come in? Honestly, being a gargoyle doesn't sound like a bad gig. She rolls her eyes at my joke before stepping aside. Well, here goes nothing. I move past Rosalind into her quaint marble foyer. I can't deny the beauty of Rosalind's home, yet today it is more outstanding than ever. Harvest garland dips and bows around her staircase in intricate locking patterns. 
A trail of leaves morphing from summer's green to fall's auburn raced along her baseboards, turning the floor into a woodland trail. Husks of corn dangle from her tall ceiling as fairy lights sway between them. The warm scent of bread and apples mingles in the air, my lungs inhaling appreciatively at their inviting aroma. The sisters of Hecate giggle and pass between rooms, although a few catch sight of me and their giggles turn to scowls and interested whispers. The scowls I am more than familiar with, but it's the interested glints sending my stomach into unease. The curious attention strangely makes me long for the days of outright scorn, at least those emotions I know how to deal with. As if catching onto my train of thought, Rosalind moves to my side, a warm smile on her lips with a calculating glint in her eyes. Seems our potential high priestess has brought us some offerings and delicious tidings to share with everyone. What exactly did you make, Jade? I feel like a first grader, presenting my sad show-and-tell items to the class. I don't bother to hide my annoyance. I made some cornbread and a husk poppet for your altar. You still set it up in your living room? Rosalind nods, her manicured fingers already relieving the bag from my wrist. A rare, genuine smile teeters at the corner of her red lips as she peers into the bag. She inhales briefly, her attention eclipsed by a memory clouding her eyes. It smells identical, too. A lump shortens my breath, but I don't let it show. From the hard press of Roz's lips, I know exactly what she was about to say. It's fucking too soon. All of this is just... too much. Rage boils beneath my skin, making my clothes too tight. It's a knee-jerk reaction because underneath the rage is a bottomless well of sadness, and I would rather scream than cry in front of this group. But I do neither. Today is not about me. And for once, I don't explode like a hot tea kettle. I finish Rosalind's train of thought. I should hope so, as I used her recipe. I don't look too closely at the pity lining Rosalind's eyes. My mother will always remain a sore spot between us. Instead, I turn on my heels, heading to the living space to my right, my husk poppet gripped tightly in my shaking hand. I'm here for Rachel. Nothing more. I owe the coven nothing. This means nothing. I chant the phrase to myself over and over as murmurs swirl like moths around me. I'm not sure when I'll be capable of tackling this hurdle, but today is not that day. Rosin's communal altar sits next to her stern hearth. A low fire hums softly in its maw as it fans the room with its holiday warmth. The table overflows with fresh loaves of bread, sunflowers, and pine cones. Brilliant pieces of amber, tiger's eye, and peridot weave through the table in swirls with a few forming elaborate suns. Nestled in the center are red, orange, and green candles surrounded by piles of gourds in every shape and size. I only stop for a moment to admire the display, my mood leveling to indifference. Firmly grounded, I move to the hearth where several poppets line the mantle. A few are as plain as my own. However, some are crafted more elaborately, a few even sporting realistic card faces. I sit mine on the end, my eyes scanning the rest. While most puppets are made for sympathetic magic, the ones made today shine with rays of protected and abundant magics for the next phase of the year. They are a long-standing tradition, even if they can sometimes conjure darker intent. Pretty little things, aren't they? I turn my eyes to the woman next to me. I didn't hear her approach, and her face isn't one I recognize. She's beautiful but her expression is pinched like she just tasted a bit of lemon. Her floor-length gown with tightly corseted waist and ample cleavage is far too formal for this intimate gathering, but there isn't a crime against dressing like a belle in a ball. Most of the other guests don simple yet elegant dresses, enough to adhere to the formal necessities of today's event without outshining the bride-to-be. Yes, they are. Which one's yours? 
The woman waves, her short brown hair flicking with the movement. Oh, I didn't make one. Not much use for something when so much has already been taken from me. Jade! Rachel's high-pitched squeal cuts off my reply to the woman. The weight of her frame nearly sends me to the floor, but I manage to catch the lip of the manhole before we end up a heap on Rosalind's marble. Isla's faces stare down at us as Rachel grips my waist, my unoccupied arm patting her back awkwardly. The room buzzes with our exchange, allowing an uncomfortable prickle to scuttle from my white-knuckled fingers to my toes. I push from the mantle, using the momentum to ease my frame back. Her megawatt smile is as contagious as ever, and despite myself, I find my lips curling white. It's good to see you too, Rachel. You look radiant. The compliment makes her blush, but I feel like my words are not enough to describe her beauty in this moment. Her auburn hair cascades down her back and her soft, whimsical curls pulling back at her brows in sophisticated knots to reveal her sweetheart face. Poppies and marigolds are woven in a delicate crown on her head, matching the gossamer gown flowers embroidered on her V-cut red dress. Her freckled skin glows in the light of the living room, making her look like a fairy queen. Her eyes dart briefly to the side before she grabs my arms, tugging me to another adjoining room. But I don't miss the alarm flashing in her eyes before she ushers me away from the mystery woman. I'm over the moon you agreed to come, Jade. I was afraid you'd let the location of the ceremony stop you. (laughs) You really think I'd let Roz or Maureen keep me from your big day? No way. Besides, I miss your sunshine and rainbows. (laughs) Rachel laughs at my joke, the only person I know not bothered by my dry humor. Her eyes dart over my shoulder, a frown creasing her perfect face before her attention swivels back to me. What is it? Nothing. I stare her down, knowing if I wait long enough, she'll cave and tell me what's bothering her. She licks her painted lips, her hands rubbing nervously at her chiffon hips. What did that woman say to you? Nothing, really. Just commented on the poppies people brought. I don't elaborate, waiting for Rachel to feed me more information. Her name is Abigail. She's from Marcus's coven. Coven mingling is the norm, and around here damn near necessary. Or so I've been preached to by Aunt Beatty and, when we were teens, Marine. They wanted grandchildren to follow their path. Something I'm more thankful I was never forced to think much about. Nagged about, yes, but demanded to participate in, never. Hosting a visiting coven with extended family for something like today is a no-brainer, especially when two members from each party are participating in a hand-fasting ceremony. And? Do you not like her? Rachel's eyes dart over my shoulder again before snatching my wrist and burrowing us further into the room. I have zero reservations casting my gaze in the opposite direction, my eyes capturing Abigail's lair. If a witch was capable of casting a death spell with a look, Abigail would be the master of it. Lightly, I cast my magic outward, curious enough to taste her magic and intentions. The fingers of my magic smack into a barrier so tight I nearly hiss from the sudden impact. Unfortunately, I don't get a chance to explore more. She's the woman Marcus was in the tenth union with. You can imagine she wasn't receptive when Marcus explained to her he was dissolving their union for me. Was she with someone before Marcus? She can't seriously be moping over you two reconnecting what was already there. Don't tell me she's stalking him or some shit like that. That's the funny thing. Her partner before Lunasa was Edgar. Fucking fate. Then why is she even here? Marina and Roz thought it in poor taste to uninvite the coven to the celebration. You know how Rosalind is, all formal decorum and whatnot. And I truly understand her position. But all of Abigail's leering makes me reconsider this whole thing. Rachel worries her bottom lip, flaking bits of red lipstick onto her front teeth. 
I am not the consoling friend. I'm who you call when you need to scare the monsters that terrify you. Today, those two facets just happen to coincide. It won't be a jealous ex that stops you from binding yourself to Marcus. It'll be you. Do you want this? Really want this? Or are you looking for an excuse to keep you from it? Yes, I do. This year apart has proven to me I can't imagine a life without him. He's done everything I've asked of him, passed every hurdle. What more could I ask for? Then it's going to be perfect. I promise nothing will stop your reunion today. Rachel takes a deep breath before letting it out on a shaky exhale. I'm not about to let another woman's scorn ruin Rachel's day. It took a lot for her and Marcus to get to this point. What's one more small hurdle before marital bliss? I stand on the back porch of Rosalind's home, admiring the expansive ranch-turned-harvest ceremony site. Oak benches form a tight semicircle in the center of the lush grass. Yawning stalks of corn line the perimeter of the site, casting a curtain of privacy, even though there isn't another neighbor for miles. And that neighbor happened to be Maureen. An abundance of sunflowers and marigolds line the aisle, the mouth opening to a low wooden podium. Atop it rests an emerald pillow cradling Marcus and Rachel's handfast rope. Unlike traditional weddings, there is no father to give his daughter away. No rings worth more than the most people can afford to exchange. There is only you and your partner. Each individual enters this union unbound and of their own accord. Willingness and love binds them as one, along with a little magic each pours into the handfast rope. My mind wanders to thoughts of love, a sliver of possibility blooming in my mind with a nameless face. Thankfully, I'm interrupted by that train of thought by a cough. My eyes move, taking in the tall blonde standing next to me. He's built like Hercules, if the demigod were a 9-to-5 banker. His suit is tailored perfectly, along with the rest of his appearance. Something about the perfection gnaws at my skin, and I take a step back to rid myself of the sensation. Not much for hand-fasting ceremonies, either. I wouldn't say that. My money's on... oh... a year. But hey, that's me being optimistic for them. My annoyance builds the more the man speaks, and I don't hide the bite in my tone as I reply to him. And what exactly makes you an expert on love and marriage? The man turns fully, a wicked glint in his eyes rattling the restraint I have on my hunger. This must be Edgar. I'll see you down there. With a wink, he moves toward the ceremony as more guests begin pouring from the home and taking their seats. My senses are on high alert as warnings prickle the nape of my neck. Honestly, could you not scowl for a single day? A friend is about to get married. I'm not here to ruin Rachel's big day despite popular belief, though I have a feeling a few others may be. Something is brewing, and it's not the honeymead. I hum in agreement as we stand in a tin of silence. Rosalind and I may have canyons of difference, but our protective natures are always in alignment. Keep your eyes open for anything suspicious. So far, everything has gone well, but just in case. Keep my trigger hand ready. Rosalind glares at my euphemism, and for once my taunting jab brings me no joy. Tension wrestles her jaw before she smooths her perfectly tailored dress and glides down the steps to the ceremony podium. Time to watch and see which piece moves first. By the time I reach my seat in the front row, the ceremony is ready to start. My eyes scan the crowd looking for Abigail or Edgar, but the sea of faces before me masks the pair from sight. I want to send my powers out, but there are too many extremely sensitive individuals in attendance for my prodding to go unnoticed. So I wait. The crowd rises as two figures emerge from the back door, stealing my thoughts of impending chaos. 
Soft instrumental music begins leading Marcus and Rachel in their descent to the center of the ceremony. Marcus's handsome smile blinds us as he gazes upon his soon-to-be wife. His butterscotch dress shirt might make another man look like a rejected Werther's, but the color only adds another dimension to his already tan skin. My normally quiet heart swells uncomfortably in my chest as they march arm in arm to their forever. Tears glisten in Rachel's eyes as they approach, her ruby red lips mouthing the words, I love you. The pulse of magic is so subtle, I nearly miss it. But I don't miss the hiccup in Rachel's step. She stumbles, but writes herself quickly with Marcus's helpful hand. Nothing more than a misstep on her long dress. Yet I don't miss the wince of pain blooming across her brow. My body nearly contorts trying to find the source, only to leave me looking like a gawking fool. I try to lock eyes with Roz, but her eyes are on the couple before her as she begins the ceremony. Friends, family, we are gathered here on this most glorious of days to witness the union of Marcus and Rachel under the light of our most sacred harvest celebration. Lamas is a time for cultivating, a time for reaping the hard work you have placed into the earth, and a time for crafting the seeds for later years. None here know these acts more than the two standing before me. Marcus, Rachel, you have nurtured your love into something truly precious to behold, and it is a great honor to bind you forevermore. Please join hands with one another. Marcus and Rachel beam at one another as they clasp forearms. Rosalind delicately presents the two with their handfasting rope. Crimson and caramel threads weave into a thick braid matching their attire. Personally selected charms jingle on each end as Rosalind places the rope over their joined hands, wrapping the rope twice around each forearm before tucking the tail into the thumb of their fingers, the act enabling each to pull their respective ends to form their marriage knot. The genuine smile spreads across Roz's lips, a rare tear rolling down her slender cheek as she turns to Rachel. Rachel, repeat after me. I bind my heart freely to thee. My breath is knocked from my lungs as a garbled scream leaks from Rachel's lips as she collapses to the grassy floor. Marcus shouts frantically trying to remove the handfasting rope as liquid tar pours from Rachel's horror-stricken mouth. Briefly, my eyes lock with Rosalyn, a fire burning in her blue depths as the situation unfolds. Rachel is the glue that binds us, the piece of Roz's in my heart we refuse to acknowledge, and we will go to war to protect her. With the dip of her chin, I'm unleashed to find the source of the problem. <coughs> Rachel sputters and wails, her body beginning to shake under Marcus's fluttering hands. My eyes shy away as her red dress is coated with funeral black tar. I fan my power out. It pulses over the crowd and a few of the nearby witches shriek as it comes into contact with their shields or own power. But I don't have time for niceties. I seek out the first person on my suspect list, Abigail. She's at the fringes of the chaos, her eyes wide and face pale. She moves her mouth rapidly as I move through the chaos of witches. Her eyes lock with mine, real fear glazing over the rims before she utters a single word and bolts for the back door. I dash after her, lobbing offensive magic at her heels, but she's quick. Abigail! She doesn't turn, but wrenches the back door open so hard it ricochets off the wall, cracking some of the glass pane. So help me, woman, if I have to chase you, you're going to regret it. She disappears around a corner, and I slide into a wall, trying to pivot in the same direction. My shoulder protests as I right myself, pushing strands of errant hair from my face. I expect her to head for the door and flee 
but I halt in my tracks, watching dumbfounded as Abigail yanks poppets from the mantle. Her head stamps back toward me, eyes no longer brimming with fear, but determination. Don't just stand there, help me. My feet move before my mind catches up with the scene. My initial assessment of the woman is completely wrong. Magic bleeds into the room as Abigail lifts another poppet into her hands, her eyes close as magic pours from her, searching and assessing, before moving on to the next doll. I'm a conduit. I know you felt something earlier. Something's off. It's what drew me over here in the first place. Another doll is tossed to the side as her words hit me. I cross the room and begin pulling dolls from the mantle, allowing my magic to flare and sense the intention set within. I thought that you were pissed Marcus chose Rachel over you. <laughs> of course I'm pissed. One person was able to take all my options for love away from me. That would bitter anyone's spirit. Pieces fall into place and the full picture flourishes in front of me. You and Edgar were together before Lunasa. We were. I thought we were happy. Edgar was my everything. But he wanted to explore our options and make sure. <laughs> How ironic. Edgar finds a better option, but she doesn't see him as one in return. And boy, let me tell you, Edgar doesn't like coming in second. He's the most powerful potion master and spellcaster in our coven. Whatever he's done, I know we don't have much time once the spell has been triggered. Magic pours from me more urgently with Abigail's declaration. If Edgar used one of the poppets to curse Rachel, his ass is grass. Poppets are universal tools for witches, with various versions seen across cultures. Most only use them for sympathetic magic, setting intentions, or aiding a person replicated by the doll. But with every light comes darkness. A poppet's dual nature is darker than most realize. I've never seen one used in this manner, but I know a handful of practicing priestesses who use their version for more obscure purposes. Somewhere on this mantle sits a crude variation of a voodoo doll within the guises of corn skin. We just need to find the one he created and break the curse on Rachel. Why the bloody hell are the two of you in here playing with dolls? Don't you see your fellow sister is in need? You need to be out there helping her. Are you two seriously destroying the decorations while your sister suffers? My hand stiffens on the doll I grab from the mantle, turning with it to face our new arrival. Edgar's eyes are hollow of any emotion, tracking the scene. Waves of sulfuric energy waft from his aura so strongly I don't need to reach out and see it. Besides, the doll in my grasp is doing a hell of a job reaching out to its creator. I think we both know you're more concerned with our presence here than the situation outside. Why is it that men have such a difficult time with rejection? Are your ego so fragile it's a requirement to hurt someone when they don't return your feelings? Give me a break. For once, I'm glad not to be involved in a romantic situation of my own. For a brief moment, Cass and Eric's faces flash in my mind. I haven't thought about their deaths in months, and a small beat of guilt climbs into my heart. Regardless of the fact that our relationship was only carnal, one of gratified convenience, there was always the potential they could have asked for more. If given the opportunity, would I have lowered myself to placate their egos? Absolutely fucking not. Love is more than ridiculous platitudes and worthless compromises. Sometimes love is having the power to let go. Edgar sneers at my remark, his face contorting into pure male hatred. It won't matter, because soon she'll be worthless to anyone. I doubt that. Edgar snarls and lunges for me, but my rage is faster. How dare he rob Rachel of her day. He slams into my white-hot wall of energy, clawing and spitting like a rabid animal. But my attention is no longer on him. It's on the poppet still clutched in my hand. 
I snap its husk torso in half, eliciting a howl of rage from Edgar. Hiding inside the corn sleeves are the makings of Edgar's real puppet. I recognize the wood comprising the body instantly. Elder wood. The devil's wood. Few dare to work with the cursed material, and for good reason. Wrapped around its neck are several strands of Rachel's auburn hair, a token to invoke the curse. Specks of blood coat the surface. No doubt Edgar's own tying the spell to him. Full. There's a reason no one works with Elderwood. There is a terrible price to its power. Fail to fulfill the requirements of the spellcast? The caster must forfeit their life to hell. Demons don't care whose soul they take, as long as they get their pound of flesh. Abigail moves to my side, a small gasp parting her lips. Putrid ozone fills the room, signaling our time is up. Throw it into the fire. Let the bastard pay threefold for what he wished Rachel to endure. Without hesitation, I throw the evil poppet into the still rolling fire. Edgar screams, falling to the floor with the release of my barrier. The taste of brimstone coats my throat as black smoke leaks from Rosalind's pristine fireplace. As much as I'd like to drink down the scumbag for narrowly sabotaging Rachel and Marcus's day, spinning an eternity in hell is a more fitting penance. Edgar scrambles like a crab in a pathetic attempt to get away from his fate. Abigail and I step further back as the smoke clouds our vision. Demonic laughter and snarls bounce off the ceiling, drowning out Edgar's pleas for mercy. But devils don't care about mercies. A clawed hand whips from the haze, latching onto Edgar's ankle, the nails biting into his flesh, his blood coating Rosalind's once pristine marble floor. With a final scream, Edgar is yanked into the void, the smoke following close behind leaving Abigail and I in silence. The only evidence is the lingering scent of sulfur and ash. I know you want to say it. I don't think it's necessary at this point, but if you want to hear me say I was right that badly... Jade, you care a lot more than you let people believe. It would be good to show them from time to time. I stop at my car door, keys biting into my fist. Once the demons dragged Edgar to their dimension, Rachel recovered quickly. We asked if she wanted to postpone, but Rachel waved us off. Seeing Marcus spring to her side was enough to tell her she was making the right decision. After some healing magic, an outfit change, and a few drinks for everyone, the ceremony resumed at the sunset over the cornfield. It was beautiful, regardless of the earlier setback. People love love, and it's the one thing powerful enough to wash away any darkness. A look passes over Rosalind's liquor-laced eyes and reminds me that sometimes the darkness is more forgiving than love. I don't need to prove myself to them or anyone. I regret the words the moment they part from my lips. I'm not proud of the spark of anger muddling her blue eyes. Flashes of a different night with different circumstances rears between us as I throw those words at her once again. She steps closer, venom blazing in her gaze. But you did. With your actions today, you and I may not think you are good enough to be our high priestess, but you'd be surprised what the coven is willing to accept from people who care about them. Things are shifting, and your little flex may have shown them the tiniest sample of a leader today. But we both know they won't truly accept your methods in the long run unless you give more of yourself to them. I can't dispute your readiness to protect one of our own. However, there is always a cost. Things are changing, Jade. Even I can see that. Good night, Roz. 
I climb into my car and head home. Roz is in fact correct, and as I pull onto the silent road heading to the shop, I smile. Something is changing, much to my chagrin. Am I ready to face it? My initial reaction is no, but who knows? I may even surprise myself.